Thank you. Thank you. All right. We are in a preaching series looking at the life of David, um, which has been great. Really, really enjoying looking at one of the greatest men in the Bible. And David is a story really of warts and all. It's a story of his successes and his triumphs, and also a story of his weaknesses and his failures. It's always important, and I'll reiterate this every week, it's always important to remember that David is a shadow of one greater to come. When we see David the shepherd, he is but a foreshadow of Jesus, the perfect good shepherd. Or or David the king is, is but a shadow of Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Very quick recap. Uh, in terms of where we're up to in the story, David is now king of Israel. After 20 years of waiting, he is now king of Israel. He has united the 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel at this point defeats all their enemies. The Ark of the Covenant comes to dwell into Jerusalem. And there's no time greater in the whole history of Israel than this particular moment in Israel's history. There is peace everywhere. There is the blessings of God everywhere. And this is the high point of David's reign. Now, in the middle of this, in the middle of the high point of David's reign, we find a most beautiful story with a human dimension, which we're going to look at in a moment from 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, just before we do that, I want to ask you this question. What do you think of when you hear the word grace? That's pretty easy for me. That's my daughter's name, my eldest daughter's name. What do you think of when you hear the word grace? Oh, I think of my 13-year-old daughter. But maybe you think of, you know, saying uh, grace before a meal. Or, Or maybe you think of the grace and the elegance of a ballet dancer or someone performing on the stage. Or the grace and the elegance of royalty. Whatever you think of when you hear the word grace, grace means undeserved favor. It is something that you receive. It's a gift. It's something you don't earn. It's something that you can't repay. It's something that you don't deserve. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he he was asked once in a packed lecture theatre in Oxford, what's the difference between Christianity and all the other major world faiths? He said, easy, one word, grace. We're going to look at this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, which is a beautiful human story of God's amazing grace. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, or it'll be up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Just pause here for a moment. So this is a time of prosperity, a time of peace, and David is reflecting. He wants to do something for the family, for the relatives of Saul and Jonathan. And and the word there, kindness, who can I show kindness 
for Jonathan's sake. The word kindness in Hebrew has a much deeper meaning. It's more akin to grace than we think, oh, I'm just being kind to someone by opening the door. This is something deep, a deep thought of of grace. So David's saying, who can I show grace to for Jonathan's sake? And you may think, well, why? Why would David say that? Why would he say that? Well, he'd made a promise with Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, verse 13 to 17. He'd made a promise to look after Jonathan's family when David became king of Israel. This is important because in Eastern times, when there was changing dynasties, when a new king took over, what would they do? They would obliterate and kill all the family of the previous king. You know, if if a new king comes and takes over the throne, well, I'm going to kill all the previous guy's family because I don't want a rebellion. I don't want a revolt. But David had agreed to protect and look after Jonathan's family. And it's interesting, he says, is there anyone left? Anyone. He's not asking, is there anyone valuable, anyone qualified, anyone good enough, anyone worthy? He's asking, is there anyone that I can show grace to? Anybody that can be a recipient of the grace that I want to pour out. Let's read on. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness, God's grace? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. So the servant comes up, a servant called Ziba, comes up to David, and he's asked the question, is there anyone that I can show grace to? Anyone that I can bless? Anyone that I can show kindness to? And the servant kind of says, well, there is one guy, but he's crippled. He he won't look good in the throne room. I'm sure you don't want to bother with him. You don't want him in the beautiful surroundings of Jerusalem. But let's read on. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machia, son of Amil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machia, son of Amil. When Mehebaseth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mehebaseth, at your service, he replied. Now, just before we read on, I want to just just unpack a couple of things about the significance of places and names. Because sometimes you read stuff in Scripture, you read a person's name, or you read about a place, and you just skim over it. But there's some very important significance to Mehebaseth's name and the place that he was from. So the place that he was from was Lodabar. That's where Mehebaseth was leaving, living. And that means low means nothing, and debar means no pasture. It means a barren land. In other words, he was hiding in a wasteland. 
He was hiding in some obscure place out of the kind of where nobody knew. Remember, he was a descendant of Saul and Jonathan. He was a descendant of the throne. And yet he was living in Lodabar. He was living in a wasteland. He was a living in where nobody knew where he was. And what about his name? The name, Mehibaseth. The name Mehibaseth is two Hebrew words that go together. It's pa, which means to break into pieces, and boseth, which means greatly ashamed and shameful thing. And that originated from the manner that Mehibaseth became crippled. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 4 and verse 4. Basically what happened was his nurse, he was a little baby, the nurse took the baby boy to protect him and wanted to protect him from what was, what was going on. And in the haste of the nurse taking up the baby boy to protect him, she, he fell out of her hands, toppled to the floor, and crippled both of his legs. Mehibaseth, to break into pieces, greatly ashamed. Lodabar, where he was living, a nothing, a wasteland, a place where no one knew. So, so when Mehibaseth comes into the palace, you can imagine that he thought he was going to be killed. He thought, oh man, they found out where I was. I was, I was hiding away in a wasteland where no one knew. And, and now they've got hold of me and it's to the chop. I'm dead. So he bows down in fear and trembling. And then we have this beautiful moment of grace. Let's read on from verse 7 to verse 13. Don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness, grace, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mehibaseth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mehibaseth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. I mean, that needs unpacking, but we haven't got time. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands. Commands his servant to do. So Mehibaseth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mehibaseth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mehibaseth. And Mehibaseth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now, what you have there is just the most wonderful and beautiful picture of grace. Because Mehibaseth was, was taken from a barren wasteland to the palace. All of the lands that, that belonged to Saul, to Jonathan, was given to him. And verse 11 tells us that he became like a son. He became a member of the royal family. 
don't, don't you just love what's just happened in those few verses? Because, you know, when he was summoned in verse 6 and he was bowing down, I am certain he was going to, he thought he would look up and he was going to get the swing of a sword chopping off his head. He was dead and he was done. Being brought to the palace was his final act and he was going to be condemned and he was going to be killed. Instead, he saw a face of acceptance and love. He saw a face of grace. This is a most beautiful story of God's grace that speaks to us. Because you and I, we are like Mehibaseth before we became a Christian. We, we are crippled by sin. We are in a, in a desolate place. We have nothing to live for. We have no hope. But Jesus, the great king, the perfect king, calls us by name. And his amazing grace pours out in our lives and transforms us. It gives us blessings and riches far beyond what we can imagine. So what I want to do is pick out this story, five very brief kind of facts, five, very, five things we can learn about God's amazing grace from this beautiful human story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Firstly, God's grace pursues you. I want you to see here that David actively sought out the relatives of Saul and Jonathan. He actively went he actively sent out men to find Mehibaseth, to bring him in. David is the one who initiates this story. You see, God actively seeks out sinners like you and me. John 3, verse 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. God, listen to how that verse that we all know, it has the initiative is all God's, not mine or yours. God was the one who loved the world. So what did he do? He gave, he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But you see, the initiative comes from God. Romans 5 and verse 6, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The action, the initiative comes from God. You see, the Bible, the Bible is the story of God's love towards mankind. All the way through the pages of Scripture, we read about God's initiative. God loving mankind. God coming to save mankind. God coming to give mankind another opportunity, another opportunity, and another opportunity. And the day that you and I become a Christian, if you have become a Christian, or one day I trust and pray that you will become a Christian, that is the day you accept God's grace. That is the day you turn and you say, God, you've been pursuing me all this time. Now I, I will come. I am yours. You have pursued me over the years in the ups and downs. Here I am. I receive the grace that you have given to me. Let me illustrate this with a slightly embarrassing story, okay? You, 
I'm sure you're happy to hear an embarrassing story about Mark, but uh, let me tell you an embarrassing story about Mark, okay? It involves um, my first girlfriend, okay? So um, I was 16 years old, all right, at this time, and I was going to a church in a Gantz Hill, it had a youth group, quite a large youth group, and uh, I was 16, I just started my A-levels, and there was a girl called Marie, who was a year younger, she was 15, she was also at the youth group. Now, I didn't know this, I didn't know, but Marie fancied me, I, I didn't know this, but she did, she liked me, okay? So let me tell you what happened over a series of weeks, and then let me tell you when the penny dropped, okay? Because... One, you won't believe it, but two, I hope it illustrates the point. So apparently over a number of weeks, Marie really liked Mark, the young 16-year-old teenage Mark, okay? Um, and, and so she said to me one day, Mark, I'm really struggling in my GCSE French, okay? Could you, could you, I have a, is this true story? It's true story. <laughs> yeah, Jen's almost certainly watching online and she's heard it before. Jen is my wife and uh, she's not here today. She's probably watching online, um, but uh, she has heard it before. So this is not new news. We've been married 15 years. It's all right. There's not a revelation out of the closet, okay? You're all right, okay? <laughs> what was bad idea to put this illustration in? I do think it makes a point, but bad idea. Um, anyway, so could you come around and help me French homework? Of course, of course. I'm doing A-level French. I'll come help me do your kind of um, GCSE French. So I went around, helped her with her GCSE French and all that kind of stuff. And she got a great mark the next week. But then the next week at youth group, she says, oh, Mark, could you come around next week? My mom's going to cook dinner for you. That's very kind, very nice. I, I kind of helped you, so, you know, very nice dinner, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't have a clue, didn't have a clue. So went around the next week, helped with some more French homework, had a lovely dinner, okay? Absolutely wonderful. Next week, Marks went higher, higher. And Marie's like, oh, great, look at this, Marks. Still didn't have a clue, just being a kind guy, just trying to help someone, just trying to, you know, use the kind of skill of having a little bit of French. Anyway, so the next week, could you come around again? Come around another week, and, uh, and, and mum will cook dinner again. So, okay, seems like a good deal. Uh, I mean, my mum's a good cook, but this seems like a good deal. So, went around for the third time, okay, third time. You're not going to believe this, but this is exactly what happened. You know, went around for a third time, at dinner, did the French homework, and then Marie says, oh, could you come upstairs? I want to show you my bedroom. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing, nothing happened. Nothing, nothing, nothing happened. But we did go out for six months. We did go out for six months. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Maybe it wasn't a good idea to use this illustration. But the point is this. The point is this, okay? It was like someone, Marie, pursued, 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 pursued. And then finally there was this moment, oh, okay. I don't know, if the, the, the final kind of moment of realization was when the, <laughs> the Love Ballads CD was on, kind of in, in but anyway. Um, so the point was that, you know, suddenly, oh, suddenly, oh, suddenly realization. Sud oh, it all makes sense that, oh, I see, I see, I see. And you see, God's grace, it pursues us. Sometimes we don't realize. Sometimes we don't know it's happening. But 
God's grace pursues us. It takes the initiative towards us, just like David did in the story. So God does through Jesus Christ. He pursues us. He's pursuing people, your friends and family, right now. His grace pursues us. It goes to the barren places. It goes to places where, where, where we wouldn't expect, and it pursues us. God's grace pursues us. The second point I want to make from the story is God's grace is a promise in action. You see, David has this covenant. This covenant that had been in place between himself and his friend, Jonathan. The promise, the covenant was to look after the relatives of Jonathan and Saul when David became king. So David's actions were because he is bound to keep the covenant. Now, God's covenant, God's promise is, is there throughout Scripture. To seek and to save mankind. And Jesus is the promise, the covenant that was sent by God. Do you know that the promise of that covenant is there in Genesis 3 and verse 15? After Adam and Eve have sinned, after Adam and Eve have, have messed up, there is the promise of one who will come, who will crush the head of the serpent who will rescue human beings. And in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies which foretell the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and fulfills that covenant. And he says, here am I, the covenant, the promise. And there is acceptance to all who believe. There is the forgiveness of sins for all who believe. And there is the riches of God's grace and God's mercy. So God's grace is a promise in action. And thirdly, God's grace gives us everything. It gives us everything. You see, Mehibaseth had nothing. He deserved nothing. He could repay nothing. And yet he gains everything. And the same is true for us as Christians. You see, you and I, in the eyes of God, we have nothing. We deserve nothing. We can offer nothing. We, we are hiding away in our guilt and shame. But in Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, we gain everything. Now, when we hear this, most of us fall into two camps. Most of us, when you hear that, when you hear me say that, God's grace gives us everything. You will fall probably into one or two camps. The first camp you'll say is, well, I don't deserve it. I know my life is far from perfect. I struggle with addiction and I struggle with drink. I struggle with my futile life. I, uh, things in my life are just wrong. I, I mess up. And you think, no, this can't be true. I, I can't accept it. I, I, I don't deserve it. Some of us feel like that when we hear that God's grace gives us everything. But others of us have a different reaction. Others of us think, well, okay, I'm not too bad. I'm all right, actually. As long as there's no massive big sin in my life, I'm okay. Especially compared to those people and those people and those people and those people, I'm way better than most people. So, yeah, this is good. This is okay. But Scripture tells us that our righteousness is rubbish. 
The word, it's not a nice word, but the word in Scripture is it's excrement. It's, it's rubbish. Your righteousness, my righteousness, however good you think you are, is excrement. It's rubbish because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And you see, you've got to remember, you see here, David is foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus has set his heart upon you. He loves you. He forgives you your sin and your past and your shame. And he accepts you for who you are and for where you are right now. And in Jesus Christ, you gain everything. You bring nothing to the table and you gain everything. So God's grace gives us everything. Fourthly, God's grace treats all people the same. This is, this is beautiful. David didn't discount Mehiboseth because he was lame, because he was a cripple. He didn't treat him as a special case. I want you to picture something for you. I don't know about you, but I love to try and picture when I read scripture, particularly narrative scripture. I like to kind of picture what it would have been like. So I want to picture for me, if you will, because as we know from the previous weeks, David had many children, okay, many, many children. So just picture for a moment mealtime, mealtime at the palace. And, you know, the bell goes, ding, 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 dinner time at the palace, okay? And walking down the stairs <clears throat> comes Joab. Now, Joab is, is muscular. You know, Joab is, is a soldier, Joab fights, you know, he's there with his kind of, got, he's probably got his top off and he's got like spray tan and he's walking down. Joab's walking to dinner, okay? Then, then, then down the staircase in a few moments later comes Amnon. Now, Amnon is clever. He's got little spectacles on. He's reading a parchment. He's a clever, intelligent, witty kind of guy. And he's walking down the steps to dinner. And then there's Absalom. Now talk about handsome, Absalom with his long flowing hair as he kind of like catwalks it down the stairs, down to dinner. And then followed behind Tamar, the beautiful, elegant, pale, beautiful daughter of David. They're all going to dinner. And then clunk, clunk, clunk. Who's that? That's Mehibaseth. He's coming down the steps on crutches. But he smiles as he greets his other brothers and sisters. And he sits down at the table. And yet at the table, they are all equal. At the table of grace, they are all equal. You see, the sad reality is that for many of us, we go compare. We all the time will compare they're more holy than me. I'm better than him or her. I, 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 this, that, the other. We judge them. We, we push ourselves up to push themselves down. The truth of the gospel is that all people are treated the same. 
No matter your past, no matter your life, no matter your shame, no matter what may be going on in you, whether you have a huge bank balance or a massively negative bank balance, whether you live in a, in a small flat or a large home, whether you have loads of A-levels, degrees, whatever it is, or you're not very well versed in the things of books, it doesn't matter. There's no hierarchy in the grace of God. Again, picture me another feast. The feast of heaven. The feast, the banquet that we will all one day enjoy. The feast that we will enjoy with Paul and Peter and Esther and Daniel. And again, I don't know about you, but I can't try and imagine what some of the characters of the Bible might look like. There's Moses, kind of big, broad Moses with a big beard. Moses passes the butter. You know, it's like around the banquet table. Or, or, or Abraham. Imagine him being a very small kind of, Squeaky little man. Hello, Abraham. Can I have some bread? You know, like I just, but the point is that the, we are all there together at the feast. You know, Noah, give us some water. You like water? Give us some water. You know, just, just that whole thing of just like we're all here together round the table feasting because God's grace treats all people the same. You see, God looks at each one of you. And he says, son, daughter of the most high. He says, you are mine. You are as important to me as the person sitting to your left or the person sitting to your right. And the story of Mehibaseth just demonstrates this beautifully. Because in a human way, it illustrates what we all beautifully gain through the gospel. Final thing. God's grace is sonship and riches. Verse 11, I'll just read part of it again. It's just so beautiful. So Mehibaseth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He was a son. He was adopted into David's family. Not for one day, not for one night, Airbnb and then get out, go somewhere else. Not we'll take you out of the Lodabar, we'll bring you into the palace, and then a week later you gotta go back to Lodabar. No, his permanent home was now the palace. He was an adopted son of the king. And you know, that's what we have as believers, that's what we benefit from. We are adopted into God's family. You know, the Bible is very clear. There's only kind of two states that we can be in. Either we are enemies of God or we are sons and daughters of the Most High. There's no kind of middle ground. Feels a bit stark, doesn't it? But Scripture tells us very clearly that there's no middle ground. Romans 8, 16 to 17 for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we say, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. God's grace is such that you are not a servant in the palace. You are a son 
a daughter sitting at the table and feasting on the riches of God. Again, this, this, this beautiful story in 2 Samuel 9 encapsulates we go from being poor, we go from hiding, we go from our shame, we go from a backwater, we go from being kind of out of sight, out of mind, struggling in our sin and our mess, to sons and daughters sitting around the table, feasting on all the food, the drink that we could ever imagine. And Christians, you are not only saved by God's grace to be sons and daughters of the king, you also receive the immeasurable riches of the grace of God. The riches that God pours out upon you. His Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the blessing of the Spirit, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We are blessed and highly favored because of the grace of God. So let me conclude. And I just, I love this story. I love 2 Samuel 9, this story. This is such a human story. But it's such a beautiful story of God's amazing grace. God chose us. He chose you in your sinful rebellion. In your mess and shame, he chose you. And he took the initiative to come to you. And he would say to you, there is a place at the table. There is a feast for you to enjoy. Come, come and be a son, a daughter of the Most High. Let me give you this final thought. One of the commentators on this passage, I love this, said that in the palaces at that time, they would have these really large, huge banqueting tables where the family would come and eat. You know, David, his sons, Tamar, his wives, his concubines. You know, we touched on that a few weeks ago. But the point is that the whole family would come. They would come to a banquet. And the thing that I love that the commentators said was that the, back then in those times, many, many thousands of years ago, they would have, the banquet would have a huge tablecloth that would drape over the table and it would drape to the floor. Now, here's the thing why that is so beautiful. Because what would the tablecloth do? It would, it would hide the crippled legs of Mehibaseth. It would hide his imperfections. That's, that's a picture of God's grace for you and I. Because the tablecloth of his grace covers our imperfections. It covers our sin. It covers our mess. It covers our shame. And when you look, everyone looks the same. Because the tablecloth covers our sin, our shame, and our imperfection. That is God's amazing grace. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. It's absolutely nothing to do with you or I. But just like Mehibaseth, you and I get everything through the grace of God. What we're going to do today to respond, Ban, if you could come up, what we're going to do 
is we are in a moment, we're going to share communion, but we're going to